0: Okay, so we are continuing talking about uh, evidences of God. I'm going to do this standing up because it's too hard to turn around. So, um, so I want to read Romans chapter one verse twenty through twenty-two. Chapter one verse twenty through twenty-two. We've read it before, or at least referred to it, but I, I want to draw a couple of specific points from it.
1: Since the of creation of God's invisible apologies, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him or as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they
0: became foolish All right. Um, so far we've been talking about various evidences to support the fact that God exists, and that's one of the claims in here. There's another claim in here. The Bible makes some bold claims. Um, that's impressive to me, is is how, you know, the Bible goes out there on a limb. It, it, it doesn't hedge the bets, you know. You can tell people who are not confident in what they believe by how you know, if they're willing to back it up. Oh, yeah, this is going to happen. Put some money on it. Well, yeah. The Bible puts money on it. Like, listen, this is, you can prove God from, without even needing the Bible, right? Uh, What other claim is in here? It's not just that God exists, but what else? What's the secondary claim? What? Okay. What else? Does nature prove? Okay, so so the thing that we're gonna to talk today about is the nature of God. The Bible claims not only that God can be proven from nature, but that essential elements of his character that are invisible are made visible through creation. Right? So, uh, so these, those are the two premises. We should be able to observe God's character. Um, and I apologize, it's very well that I think that's the sun's fault in there, there. But, um, let's see if we can premise uh, here is that too much education actually clouds your observation of simple things. Um, so, he says uh, in verse, verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. And he goes off on that uh, after, for a little while. So, so, these are the two premises that, that really the observation of things around us, really, should be pretty simple to to see God if we step back from it and put away all our fancy theories and theorems and postulates and all those. So we're, we're not going to go through some of the uh, really wordy evidences that we we looked at. We're going to look at things a little bit simpler um, than we have. Um, so what have we? What are the two main ones he says here? In, in Romans one, we we, we establish two right off the bat uh, that we can. We're going to look at more characters than just these two. What are the two main characteristics that are evident from creation? From what's that? Okay, so so the. Um, uh God's eternal nature. And we've talked about that. We've talked about how how God has to be eternal because uh because of the law of, we went through the law of cause and effect and we saw how a finite universe can't uh it doesn't have everything it needs. There has to be this there's these beginnings and ends and there has to be something which needs no beginning, that gives beginning to all other things. So so we've already evidenced that first one. And the second one is his divine power, um, that uh, his, his awesomeness, we, we talked about how he supplies the needs that everything needs, that, that to, in order to change, in order to grow, in order to, to do all these things, everything has these needs. And, and, and some, there has to be somewhere where that all originates. Well, if you think of that, an entire universe. The needs of an entire universe from, from a little molecule all the way up to an entire solar system and galaxies and pulsars and all these different things that are, these are amazing things that, that have needs. And and there has to be a source that provides all those needs. Well, God is powerful. We talked last week about one. Uh, what what was our discussion last week? We talked about watches. What was our, our main thought last week? Or one of our main thoughts? We talked about a hand. I just. not
1: taste skin.
0: Okay, we talked about different types. So we talked about how amazing the creation, and specifically the creation of man, is. The, the mechanism. in that to have a watch means a watchmaker, right? And to have a world means a world maker. And to have a human means a human maker. Uh, all those things are necessarily implied. And we talked about the intricacies and And so so another of these uh, things um, that we can see is that God is intelligent. The creation, we talked about a world of information, a universe of information, right? Uh, That the world is premised on formulas. Um, And so it doesn't just tell us that it had to be created. It tells us about the one who made it. It tells us that that the one, if if you have, you know, uh, not being a, a scholarly student, um, my work in school was not evident of someone who studied much. That was kind of obvious from the reports and things that I turned in. Hence the grades that came back on the top of those papers, right? It was obvious, and people, I don't think you're doing that much work on your papers it's evident why because of the work the work naturally flows from the worker uh you can tell if you are in a position of authority if those under you are cutting corners right you can tell you you can tell it's just little things um so like hmm. God's creation is intelligent everything about it is information So much so that that the more we discover, the more questions we have. We don't get to a point to know everything about that. It's just more and more and more and more and more information that tells us that the maker was incredibly intelligent. What else do you think we can know from creation? I'll open this up to you for a little bit. What else do you think? You look around you. What do you see? Okay.
1: You see a precision they were off by a little bit. It wouldn't work. Mm
0: hmm. Yep. Beauty.
1: Beauty. You know, it's
0: yeah. Yeah. We could go through and we could find, really if we thought about it, if we, if we went through our day and said, I'm going to observe something about God today, something unique, I don't usually think about it. When you were looking for it, you could find it. God reveals himself to us in so many ways and we just walk by and we, we enjoy it and don't pay attention to it at the same time. You know, it, it's creation. And not just all aspects. I'm not just talking about the trees and the flowers, but, but, but just observing, whether it be like talking about life, just observing things. We're going to talk about some of those. and We've, we've, um, we've looked at and some of the things you mentioned we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, God is unified. you know what you're looking at there? What are you looking at? Satellite view. Okay, it's satellite view of Milwaukee. Milwaukee. What tips you off if that's Milwaukee? The lake. The lake. Okay. That could be. Uh, that could be a lot of lakes. The, the three
1: rivers.
0: Okay. The thing that tips me off is the road. You notice the roads. If you've driven Milwaukee, <laughs> you know the roads. How annoying that is. Um, all of creation functions as a whole. Milwaukee doesn't. So, uh, I'm not sure if you know the history of Milwaukee uh, or not. Um, some, I, I, I know that uh, I, I, I lived in Troy, New York, and I had a, a girl come over from Belarus and visited and was telling me about, you, you probably never even heard of Troy, New York. She's telling me the history of Troy, New York. She studied it in school. So I was like, How in the world do you know this stuff? I don't know this stuff. and I look at it. Like, A lot of people don't know their own history that well. Uh, so Milwaukee was built by, or founded by three people. Two of them famously hated each other. Um and uh a guy by the name of Solomon Juno. And uh anybody know the other one? No? Nope. <laughs> those those were important people that came later, Paps and Slitz and all those guys. Um Byron Kilborn was the other one. And um so Byron Kilborn lived west of the river, and, and he really did a lot to do west of the river, and um, and he was kind of the more cantankerous one. Uh, and so when he established his roads, he shifted them about 35 degrees, which is why you see and why you can't get around anywhere in Milan conveniently. Uh, and you, you can even see it on the map. It's like it's like it is obvious from looking at that. You can look at that and say, different people had to do with this. They they weren't together. They weren't on the same page. What's happening? You just you just know you know there's a story. When you're driving downtown, you know there's a story there, whether you investigate it or not. What's the story with this? And it's the first thing you think. What, what happened? Who, right? So, so it, it's obvious that there was a, you know, there was no agreement. Uh, most of the historical viewpoints of God are based on some system, and I'm talking historically. Now, going way back. There's this God over here and there's Zeus and there's this or or if you were uh, in India, there's there's and I know they kind of now they believe in pantheism, but their pantheism evolved out of of really like a mythology similar to the Greek where, where there's Krishna and there's Vishnu and there's all these little deities and, and, and Romans the same. Romans just borrowed the Greeks and changed the names, um, but you go to Persia, same thing. You, you, and this is, repeats itself and repeats itself right, throughout, throughout history. That all these gods were opposed to each other. Well, if that's the case, we should see a universe that looks like Milwaukee. We should see a universe that, that shows a schism, right? We should we see this universe. Like, why, did, why does gravity pull me down here and it pulls me sideways over here? I just don't like that God over there. I'm going to do things my way. We should see a universe that works like that. And it doesn't. The laws of the universe work wherever. It shows that one God really was working, whether that's a unified God or a singular God, the basic concept of monotheism is shown by nature. We, we see this, and we talked about all these interacting systems and how they they all function together. They're well thought out, you know. Uh, it wasn't like, well, there's this part of this thing, and, and this person over here was doing this thing, and you know, like, oh, uh, uh, we, you know, we're we're building uh, all these different systems, and now you get together, and it's like, hey, what do we do now, right? Um, so, uh, the universe doesn't show this conflict because God had to be unified. Any thoughts? Before we move on.
1: What's interesting is that those things are consistent throughout. Yeah. But yet, if we were to go call them animals, every one of them would be identical, right? If we were to go do that, and we did do that, right? Every one of them, if you look at the pictures, are identical. Yeah. But yet, God created a system where every one of them is different. Yeah. Every flower is different. Yeah. Right. Every tree is
0: different. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's, it's amazing. You're yeah, operating on all the same principles. There's still diversity. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's like, uh, and so I would drop from that imagination, you know, I mean, this this, it's, you know, like, like you, you drive down the street and it's like every building. Okay. So every building in there I can go was built by the same developer. They are exactly the same. You've been in one, you've been in all. You know, there's no diversity. Um, you know, throw a different color of paint on it, you know, it's like uh, we do what we do. Um, I want to focus today uh, on God's nature as seen through the human experience because we, we move up and we talk about things and there's scientific facts and there's interesting facts and as we said, there's, there's, you know, if you like just simple philosophy logic, there's, there's evidence there. If you like science, there's, there's science there. But I want to talk about the human experience, um, and I am going to only briefly use one philosophical um, line of reasoning. But we're not going to really spend our, excuse me, spend our time there today. But because of the things that we're going to be talking about, we all use this basic line of reasoning and just apply it in different different ways. And that is uh, this evidence of desire. It's called different things. Uh, but uh, basically, it, it works like this. For uh, us to desire something, the reality must exist in some form. Right? Uh, you get hungry. It's very convenient that there's a thing called food. That'd be <laughs> awful if we got hungry and there was no such thing as food. Right? We have a basic desire for uh, for various things. Uh, We have food, this water, this, uh, anything anything you can think. Right. You have a basic desire for it and there is a fulfillment for it. Now, mankind universally, atheists included, show a desire for spirituality. They don't escape from it. The Bible says that mankind gropes for him in Acts 17. Gropes like he's in darkness. Mankind craves something that he can label God. He might not give credit as God, but he will grope for something that will become his God. Mankind needs spirituality, so there must be a fulfillment, which is God. Now, if you were going to argue that point, how would you argue it? In in any argument, you look for the the assumptions that are incorrect. You assumed too much there. Can you imagine something that's not real? fire breathing dragons not real right? I can imagine lots of things so, um, so let's talk about fire breathing dragons um, imaginary things are a product of by definition our imagination your imagination really isn't that good no one has a really good imagination because all we can do is use things that actually exist and we adapt them, right? If there was no such thing as combustion, you really couldn't imagine fire. You wouldn't imagine a fire-breathing dragon if there was no such thing as combustion. You, You have to work from things which actually exist. If you had never heard of a lizard or anything like that, you probably couldn't imagine... A, you know, something that might look like a dinosaur or a dragon or whatever. Those things wouldn't, you know, unless, you know, what do Martians look like? Oh, they look like shiny humans, mostly, right? We, we just take what we know and we adapt them. We add, we add things and subtract things that we know. Right. I would like to imagine um, and so so someone else might say well see okay so it's imagination your, your idea of God is just that you're extrapolating yourself to a higher degree much like okay so so you're taking I might take Elizabeth and, and imagine him to be a dragon you're taking yourself and you're, you're putting him up here and imagining God well for us to plot on a line we acknowledge that there is a line to be plotted right? we acknowledge that this this information can be organized and say that there are degrees of perfection or there are degrees of greatness or there are degrees of whatever that lead to a God we've already assumed that in order to, to make the argument if there was no God we would have no sense of of greater or lesser. If there, if there wasn't anything there, we wouldn't have all of these things to compare to. In other words, God, in the, in the human experience, God has given us intrinsic, this intrinsic, I don't even know what, it's like a, if you think of your computer, right before you put any programs on it or anything, all the, the structure is there for it to accept your, your, your phone comes, it's empty. It's there to accept all the apps that you'll download. Download it. You, come, you don't come with information. You're born no information. But the structure is there when you're born to put all that in and come to God. Smart people here. Engineers, I'm blind. I've been blind from the day I was born. Please explain to me this thing you talk about. It's called blue can't do it because I don't have anything there to interpret the information that you would give me so for me to imagine God I have to have the thing there inside of me already that can interpret this information as leading to God without that basic thing inside of me from the time I was baby from the time I was a single fertilized cell that's been inside of me that eventually I could accept this information that will lead me to God
1: so in order to be a to bad God
0: you have to acknowledge the existence really that
1: what, what right
0: right yeah why, why argue it right like, like, I don't argue against Santa Claus Right? Because I come with the intrinsic knowledge that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Like, we all know kids know too. Right? Kids know too, they just pretend. Right? They, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I kind of knew he was, but you enjoy, the, you, you enjoy the pretendness of it. I think kids know. That's my personal theory.
1: Right. in every single culture before they were able to communicate with each other all of them had the concept of a higher being right. and it's interesting too that most of these have several things in common they yep. have yep. a creator they have origin of man yep. and they have
0: redemption sin yep yep Yeah. Uh, there, there's these like where does all mankind get this from there was something that was there there's something of substance there uh, <clears throat> any thoughts before we continue okay so uh, so we're going to look at uh, four four different things here first of all that God is moral God is moral we're just using that that basic line of reasoning and applying it and in, and in, Four different ways here. Uh, This is called, some refer to this as an evidence from conscience. So each of us uh, feel compelled to obey a conscience. We said, well, you have to just obey your conscience, right? People talk about that all the time. We each feel compelled. Now, I'm not saying that we each have the same, you know, we all do the same thing or we all feel we need to do the same thing. But whatever it is you feel that you need to do, you are compelled by it. That is, that's like, I have to do this thing. Um, y- you, know, you feel guilty when you don't do it. Right? There's things that you just intrinsically feel guilty. Now, you might not feel guilty for the things that I feel guilty for. Right? But you feel guilty if you don't do certain things. If you violate your conscience. And it can only come from four sources. There's, there's, there's only four places that, it can't, that, that this sense of obligation can come from Uh, it can come from nature right the the creation around you the the like it was just it was just mother nature put this in you it's just this thing that however thing this in you uh it can come from yourself I've I've made these well that's your that's your personal whatever you know it's not mine it's yours and you just uh the majority we talk about society well society makes rules and we vote on things and we come up with these rules and all sorts of things right uh, and the fourth one is God. So let's handle these. Um, did we do this in, in school? Process of elimination. Right? Well, um, so the first thing, we can cross off nature. And here's the reason why. Nature is inanimate, and therefore it is lesser than man. So what is lesser can never produce an obligation for what is greater. Right? If you view something as lesser, you don't feel compelled to obey what's lesser nature can't come up with rules for me. I don't walk in the garden and the, the trees say, all right, you are obliged to do this thing. Nature can't come up with it. So, so, so I eliminate one right off. Well, what about self? Myself, I've made up my rules. Well, here's the problem. I can eliminate that too. If you make up the rules for yourself, what else can you do? You can change the rules. There's no universals. There's really, I can eliminate guilt. They said, well, some people don't feel guilty. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They just are very good at overriding their guilt. doesn't mean they don't feel the guilt. It just means that they don't respond to the guilt. You can, you can fail to respond to the guilt without getting rid of the guilt. You never get rid of the guilt, really. Right? So I eliminate myself. Well, the majority, that's more powerful. Culture comes up with the rules. I can eliminate that. Why? Why can I eliminate the majority? Okay. What's that? The majority is certainly not always right. They could change the rules too. The majority is just a bunch of people that are equal with me. So if I can change the rules for myself, the majority can change the rule. I can't be obliged to do something by my peers. In other words, they can tell me I need to do it. They can even force me to do it. There's a the rule. You're going to jail if you don't do it. But they can't oblige me to do that. They can't give me guilt for failing to do that. Right? The majority comes up with the rule. It won't affect my conscience if I intrinsically know that what they are requiring of me is not wrong. It will produce in me no guilt. So the majority, the only things I feel guilty for doing are things in which I know are wrong that the majority identifies. The majority can identify something correctly. But I don't feel guilty because they identified it. I feel guilty because it's wrong. Right? I don't feel guilty for stealing something because there's a law that says, if you steal that, you're, you're going to jail. That doesn't make me feel guilty. I feel guilty because I know it's wrong. Intrinsically. They've just identified it and said, we don't want you to do it, so we're going to put a, a tag of punishment to it. So... Um, so the, the very concept of, of morality says that there has to be a God. Let's look at another one that God is just. How would I know that God is just? Um, well, they uses the same basic line of reasoning, uh, a, a little different of an application. All humans have a sense of fairness. Right? Your little kid knows when something's not fair. I mean, they feel that right off the bat. Um, you respond to a lack of fairness when you see it in other situations. You certainly react when you feel it and you're on the wrong side of an injustice, right? You have an actual emotion that is devoted To fairness. What's that emotion? You have an emotion that is designed for justice. What is that? An
1: emotion.
0: Anger. Think of what you get angry at injustice. They should not. That was an unfair sentence. That was this. And you, you feel. You have an emotion that is there, put in you by God, to govern these instances of injustice. This is a wrong thing. This is not a fair thing. This is not a right thing to do. This makes me, we call it righteous indignation. Right? right. It's an emotion entirely devoted to trying to keep fairness. In the universe. We have that. Born in us. Well, who would put that emotion in you? We think of anger as a negative thing. It's not. It can be used incorrectly because it can be used violently. A God that would have a sense of justice would put in me an emotion that is there to keep justice, to keep righteousness. You can tell about a person from their work. You can tell that God is a just God. God is a fair God, and he says that. God is just. We serve a just God. Sometimes we don't think so, but we do. Uh, You mentioned this, Ray, um, that... God is beautiful, well, you can say it something. I the creation is beautiful. Um, in many religions and we talked about this you know talking about the different gods, many religions are based on ugly gods, and i 'm not just talking about physical appearance appearance when we talk about this, but I mean the character of their gods, the vengeance and the, the just the ugliness of their, their deities. Um, but consider from creation our God. Uh, that existence is not merely functional mm-hmm. but that it is pleasurable. That, that God has designed everything around us not merely to serve a purpose but to be enjoyable in doing so. So much so, that there are people that actually enjoy work. In this sense, we plant a garden, right? That's work. Who wants to work with nature? Well, if it was ugly, and if it didn't produce anything, we would not enjoy it. And some people do it as a hobby because it produces something that's enjoyable. Uh, it appeals to all of our senses. God has designed five senses, and He's designed nature and creation to appeal to every one of them. Visibly is the most obvious, but think of uh, spring blossoms and a, a summer rain—pleasurable, oh, it's enjoyable. Think of the sounds of nature. Now, it's not always enjoyable when you're trying to sleep at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. But really, God has designed it to be enjoyable. And you get these people that want to uh, uh, you know, have difficulty sleeping. Well, here, put on. Uh, put on. You want to listen to something? Well, what do they listen to? They listen to like uh, construction sites or. Yeah, listen to this. This is really you Get you right to sleep. No. Sounds of nature. Listen to them. Very soothing. It feels good, right? The the feel of soft grass on your feet. Enjoyable. Sounds And think about just the flavor of food. Imagine if food had no flavor. If it was merely functional. How enjoyable would that be? Yeah. We'll all be very thin. And so the world around us reveals a magnificent creator, a beautiful creator, someone who didn't want to just give us something to exist in, but wanted to show us a little bit of himself. And if you think that this is great, just wait till what he's making. This is just just the appetizer. I've got an incredible place of beauty. And our last one, and most importantly, when we think of God, we say God is what? God is love. And so, can God's love be seen from nature? Well, let's look at two major premises of atheism real fast. Atheism is premised on, on, well, a bunch of ideas, but we're going to look at two of them. First of all, that everything has to have a scientific. We don't accept miracles. We don't accept that. You have to, you have to be able to provide a scientific explanation for everything. That's, that's the root of it all. Um, and the second, survival of the fittest explains how we get from there to here. That is their major premise. And love says, huh? The existence of love, which we all, I mean, no one denies the existence of love. We define it different ways or what have you. But everyone acknowledges the real existing thing called love. So here's the problem is that it denies both major premises of atheism. To me, this is one of the greatest Evidence is, if not the greatest evidence against them. more than any science, more than any, any other thing, this one, they cannot explain. There is no chemical explanation for love. Give me Give me the formula. Give me the formula for sacrificial love. How does that work in the brain? Okay. Explain that. Explain the chemistry.
1: Anger, anger can be generated by all the Generated Okay,
0: so we could identify the catalyst for it, but we can't identify the existence of it. Right? We, we can identify the triggers. But we can't explain the existence of the thing called love. Which is, which is man's strongest desire. Explain that. No explanation. And sacrificial love does not compute with the atheist model because it does not benefit the one who loves. Survival of the fittest should say You're having a problem there. You're on your own because I need to survive. Why would I sacrifice myself for somebody who can't help me? That does not make sense atheistically. And yet, you—we all feel. You see something happen. You want to help. Without even—you don't need to be trained. You don't need to be programmed from the time you're a child you want to help it's it's inborn in you it's that basic thing that you have little kids want to help little kids little kids come up here and want to give their coins why? they are inborn with this love it's a part of them it's a part of creation and it makes no sense that little kids living here would want to help people they will never meet, they've never seen, they don't know anything about, and they will give their coins for little kids somewhere. It makes no sense atheistically. It is, to me, it is the greatest evidence of our Creator, and not just evidence of Him, but who He is. That God is love. Okay, you're dismissed.